Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. Well, there's been a story developing over the past few months that we want to highlight today because it demonstrates that courage is contagious. When someone refuses to bow their knee to the cultural God or gods, others tend to follow. And that's exactly what's been happening in the world of professional hockey. So it all started back in January when Ivan Provorov, a defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers, decided that he was not going to join his team in the warmups while they wore pride-themed jerseys and wrapped their hockey sticks in rainbow color tape. So after some significant backlash, his team and the NHL actually stood by him. And since then, entire teams have opted to not wear the pride jersey. So what does this all mean? We're going to break it down in a moment. But first, don't miss this important announcement and our tips of the week. Our next Unshaken Conference is now just one month away. Elisa Frank Turk and I will be at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills in Southern California on May 6th. We can't wait. We're so excited to encourage and equip you to be salt and light in today's tough culture. You can still get tickets. Just go to unshakenconference.com. I also want to mention that tickets will be on sale for our Nashville and Tucson conferences very soon in the next couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for that. My tip this week comes by way of our friend, apologist Sean McDowell. I interviewed Sean in the most recent episode of my podcast, and we talked about navigating culture with grace and truth. And one of the things that he pointed out that he does when he speaks publicly on difficult topics is he assumes that there's at least one person in the audience who struggles with that particular issue. So for example, if he's speaking on abortion, he's careful to always say up front before he ever gets started talking that if anyone there has that in their past. God loves you, and this is not an unforgivable sin. And I just think that this is such a good reminder for all of us when we speak up in front of others, whether that's in a small group or on social media or anywhere else, just let's be careful to speak in a way that we would if we knew for certain that someone listening right then was struggling with that particular issue. And I think that'll help us to be a lot more gracious in our delivery and open up people more to hearing the truth. That's such good advice. And I actually remember attending a lecture by Sean years ago, long before I had a podcast or a platform. And I had some false ideas, I think, about church history and certain things I was learning. And I remember he spoke to something that was actually an incorrect view that's quite popular, but he was so compassionate about it. I didn't feel isolated or stupid because he acknowledged that, hey, look, this is a lot of people think this and you're not dumb if you think this. But then he went on and did the correction and it was so much easier to receive that correction. So that That is definitely something he lives out, and it's great advice. And my tip of the week is that as Christians, it can be really overwhelming when people want to talk about maybe skeptical claims against what we believe, and we can be intimidated and maybe even just totally shy away from those conversations because we're afraid of saying something wrong or getting stumped or getting tripped up in some kind of fact or something like that. But my tip is just to don't be afraid to say, I don't know. It's such a powerful statement to just be free to be able to say, gosh, that's not a question I'd really thought about before. Or, hey, um, I don't know the answer to that. And then what that can do with the person you're communicating with is that can open up room for relationship. You can say, you know, 
what? I don't know, but let me look into that this week and maybe we can get back together in a couple of weeks for a cup of coffee and discuss what we found out. And that way you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a professional apologist. Just have the, the humility to be able to say, I don't know. And that can actually go quite a bit further. A quick story on that, Natasha. I was doing a Q&A at a women's conference one night and somebody asked me this really obscure question about an interpretation of the book of Revelation. And I honestly <laughs> just luck. did not know the answer at all. And I started to just say something. I was like, you know what? I really just don't know the answer to this question. It's been a while since I've done a deep dive study of Revelation. So I wouldn't want to speak to something that I just, you know, I don't really know. So I'm just going to have to abstain from answering that. And but but now I'm going to be looking it up this week. And you know, somebody came to me after and they said, I so appreciate that because so often people will just start talking and giving some kind of an answer and you know, they don't really know. And it makes you mistrust them. But this actually made, it, made them trust me more on the questions that I did claim to know the answers to. So don't be afraid to say, I don't know. That's a great story to illustrate that point, because I think sometimes if we try too hard to give an answer that we're not sure about, if we do give the wrong answer and somebody goes and looks into it and finds that out, then they're thinking, wait a second, <laughs> I thought I trusted yeah. you. I thought that, you know, I thought that you had answers on these things. So definitely, I think that it's more harmful a lot of times to venture an answer that's wrong, especially when you're talking with your kids, too, than if you just don't know. Well, as Elisa right. mentioned, there have been some very interesting developments in the world of professional hockey and its intersection with popular culture and LGBTQ activism lately. Ivan Provorov was the first to decline from participating in warm activities, which included a pride-themed jersey. And when he was asked about it, he told reporters this, quote, I respect everyone. I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. He was, end quote, he was swiftly punished not only by armchair activists on social media, but verbally attacked by major national news sources. Sports writer Rachel Melanta used words such as ignorant, obnoxious, homophobic, and bigot to describe Provorov and his actions. Hockey news writer Adam Prato called Provorov a shameful human being. And NHL Network senior reporter E.J. Hradik even suggested that Provorov should go back to his homeland Russia and fight against Ukraine if it would make him, quote, more comfortable. But all that was not the only response. Provorov's jerseys began to sell out within days of the event. Obviously, not everyone was on the same page about how to interpret his actions. Well, since January, several players and even several entire teams have decided to opt out of wearing the Pride-themed jerseys for various reasons. Now, just a few days ago, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said that they will evaluate their Pride nights in the offseason. So why are we talking about this on today's show? Because courage is contagious, like Elisa said at the beginning. This all started with just one guy's decision to take a stand. Now, we want to be clear that this isn't about taking a stand against LGBTQ people. That's what secular culture always tries to twist this into, that Christians are against people themselves. But this is not true at all. As Christians, we love everyone as image bearers of God, but that doesn't mean we should be willing to promote behavior the Bible teaches is morally wrong. The person is different than the behavior. So with that in mind, we have to be really clear on what exactly it would mean to wear a pride jersey. It isn't just saying, hey, I love all humans, including anyone in the LGBTQ community. That's not what it would be. It would be an implicit endorsement of certain behaviors and identities. So to take a stand in this case means to take a stand against being compelled to effectively endorse those behaviors and identities as a Christian. 
Elisa, you've been following the story for a while. I know we've talked about it a few times. Why was it that this one really caught your attention? This one caught my attention because I was following it from the start thinking they are going to cancel this guy. We are never going to hear from him again. He's going to be kicked off the team. He's going to be erased from history, as we've seen in some other cases. But that's not what happened. And so I was so interested to see, I believe it was even a couple weeks later, the rest of the team opted to not wear the jerseys. And then we saw more teams. Now, some of those teams were saying for different reasons, they were saying it was because they were worried about repercussions from Russia and some new laws that were passed there. But for whatever the reason, it all of a sudden, at least a little bit became okay to opt out of wearing the jersey. And I even followed some of the responses from the LGBTQ activist sites who in the beginning were being a little bit aggressive and then they backed off. In fact, just this week when I was Googling his name, I expected a bunch of hateful stuff to come up, but really it was just like his hockey stats. You know, everything was kind of like, let's get back to normal. Let's just forget this. And of course, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. A couple years ago, there were some baseball players who did something very similar. But uh, the reason this really caught my attention is very often when I'm speaking at conferences, one of the questions is, what do we do about little compromises like pronouns or like um, putting, you know, particular teachers, for example, putting stickers on their door that say this is a an affirming place or something like that. And what that actually <clears throat> means, it's not just saying I'm loving people, as you mentioned, Natasha, but it's also endorsing what our culture has largely, you know, bought into this Freudian idea that your sexuality is who you are. And so if we stand against maybe an, some activism or, or something that goes against the word of God, we're actually standing against, against people, which is not what we're doing. But just this past weekend, we were singing uh, one of, it's a popular worship song where the bridge says, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And as we were singing those words, I thought, but, but like, do we though? Do we bow to idols? We say that, we sing it, but just those little, you know, capitulations to culture where we're being forced to live by lies and then we cooperate with that. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like bowing to the cultural God of the LGBTQ umbrella, which is without a without question, one of the big cultural gods. And so it's these little compromises that lead to bigger ones. And it reminded me of a book I'd read years ago by Gerald Sitzer. And he was talking about persecution in the early church. And he was comparing that with what Christians are going through now. And I'm just going to read this quote because it's so good. He said, most of us will not have to die for our faith, though it may come to that, even for those living in the West. But we will all face moments when we will have to choose between Christ and something else that vies for our ultimate allegiance. The early martyrs, Perpetua, Polycarp, and many others did not, in fact, choose martyrdom, at least not directly. They chose to be faithful to Christ. Martyrdom just happened to be the result. And that's an end quote. Such a powerful quote, because in today's culture, that LGBTQ plus activism is demanding our ultimate allegiance. And, you know, I think about the first century Christians in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire didn't care who you worshipped. They didn't care how many gods you worshipped as long as you said Caesar is Lord, as long as you put your little pinch of incense in the bowl, signifying that Caesar was the supreme deity. And, you know, as a Christian today, you could face punishment at work or re repercussions in the social realm. Um, but you're also going to be told by culture that you just have a persecution complex. I see this all over the place that if you think, you know, hey, 
it's it's hard to be a Christian today in our culture. People say, ah, you Christians in your persecution complex. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot too. And a complex implies that something is not real, right? So in other words, when people say that, it means we're delusional to think that there's a lot of yeah. anti-Christian hostility. And just to put a little bit of context on that, according to Open Doors USA, in just the last year, more than 340 million Christians were living in places where they did experience high levels of persecution with almost 5,000 Christians being killed for their faith. We're not suggesting that the anti-Christian hostility and discrimination in the United States is in any way comparable to that. But that said, we're also not delusional about the extent and nature of anti-Christian hostility, as that term persecution complex implies. It's not a complex if it's reality. It's just a fact about where we are as a culture. But the tricky thing about this is that we can't expect the culture will even agree with us on that. They don't see anything really as anti-Christian because they just believe that Christians are getting what we deserve for holding what they think are toxic beliefs. And I think that's what makes it so hard is that no one looks at that hostility and says, wow, Christians are really kind of getting the other end of things now. No one sees it that way. And so it kind of makes Christians go, well, is this an anti-Christian culture? And, and is this true hostility? And the answer is yes, absolutely. I think that it's very clear when you look around at media bias and mainstream media, everything that's going on, it's, it's very obvious that there is a bias against Christians today. That doesn't mean we're being persecuted again in the same way we're talking about in other places, but it does mean that we should prepare for more of the same. I think this is the trajectory that we're on. So that leads us to the question, how can we respond to the cultural gods of our day? We want to leave you with just a few things. The first one is make sure you know the real thing. We can't stand against false ideas if we don't know what the real gospel is in the first place. There are a lot of ideas that float around today about who Jesus is and what he was all about. In fact, we talked about some of them in the episode that we did on the He Gets Us campaign. If we aren't really clear on who Jesus is and what he was all about, we're going to easily get sucked into ideas that culture makes sound good, but aren't actually biblical. Ideas like the whole social justice Jesus that we discussed. So how do you make sure you know what's true and what you should then stand up for? You read your Bible. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. There are so many other things, of course, that you could say, but if we could get the body of Christ to just really consistently and deeply read our Bibles, can you imagine what a difference that would make? The research shows that that's not happening. So that's why it bears us talking about it here. We need to be in our Bible all the time. That way we are, we are equipped with God's word and we know what is true. We know the real Jesus. We know who he is. We know what he's done. We know who we are. We know where things are going, it just gives us a completely different perspective when we know the real thing. Oh, so important. And then the second thing that we'd like to offer is just be willing to suffer in the small things, right? We're not really living in a culture where we're being sent to prison or losing our lives, but it's the small things. And that's what Rod Dreher talks about in his book, Live Not By Lies. It's like a soft totalitarianism when you are forced to use language in a way that we're, language is really being used as propaganda and we're being forced to agree with those lies. Just resist that as Christians. We must resist living by lies. 
And finally, we need to be committed to truth. Truth is simply what corresponds to reality, and Christianity is a matter of objective truth, meaning that it's either true and that it does correspond to reality, or it's false and that it doesn't. So it's not a subjective preference like ice cream flavors. To treat it like an ice cream flavor, like something that can be true for you and not for someone else, is just a category error. These don't even go together. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. It's absolutely pointless. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, he was who he claimed to be, God himself, and everything changes. So the question is, as a Christ follower, are you going to be committed to standing firm on Jesus as objective truth and not treating your faith as something so inconsequential as an ice cream preference? No one needs to take a stand for ice cream, but every Christian (laughs) should be taking a stand for Jesus. That's right. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we can forget that, that religion really isn't just finding some rituals or some steps that make you feel more peace in your life or give you some kind of a practical way to meditate and, and just you know have a better life. That's just not what this is about. Christianity is true for everyone. And if it's true for everyone, then it has eternal consequences for everyone. And we need to live as if that's true, which, by the way, is exactly what we're hoping to equip you to do at our Unshaken Conferences. I mean, this is why we created this conference and this podcast. Uh, Just wanted to leave you with this story of our friend Frank, who's going to be joining us to speak at our Shaken Conferences this year. You know, Frank lost two jobs over a book he wrote on biblical marriage. He basically took a stand on biblical marriage and was fired from his job. But here's the encouraging part. That's what God used to bring him into full-time ministry. And that full-time ministry was one of the ministries that God used to help save my faith when my faith was in crisis. So you never know what God's going to do. We need to be willing to suffer in the small things, be committed to truth, know the real thing. And that's exactly how we will live unshaken in this uh, increasingly anti-Christian culture. Well, thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast. Check out that episode with her and Sean McDowell and also listen to the Elisa Childers podcast. I just had Nancy Piercy on to talk about a good theology of the human body and how getting that wrong can lead to all sorts of moral chaos. If you like those longer form episodes, subscribe to our podcast. But for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on that, as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress, where we will never be shaken. Thank you.